2: Welcome to the show. As we close out another week, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. We need you to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free. At eight seven seven six three zero K S L R. Numerically that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at CalvarySA.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you're driving in your car, I know the streets are wet. Be careful. The safest way to call is use the free KSLR app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, really quickly before we get into the questions that have been sent in while we're waiting for your calls, Um, Tonight I get to talk about one of my favorite things in the world. If not my favorite, my my favorite thing is to talk about Jesus, the living word. But tonight I get to talk about the written word of God, Uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. As we continue in our study through the weapons of warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. I think I've got one more study in Ephesians after this. And then we're going to be heading into Revelation on our Friday night studies. So um, keep that in mind and you all can read ahead, those of you who are following us online. Uh, Sunday, I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to do the first 18 verses. Uh, I personally think the book of 1 Corinthians at this point in chapter 9 gets really interesting. Kind of boring the last couple of times talking about Christian liberty and how to use it. Uh, but Paul in chapter 9 sort of kicks it up a notch. And, and uh, it gets, I think, at least for me in our, in our church culture, very, very interesting. So all of that's going on wherever it is you go to church. Go, offer yourself to be used by the Lord before you go. Um, let him know that you're ready to use whatever spiritual gifts that he's given you. Go into your church looking for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, and even the fearful. And then you be God's messenger for them. Encourage them, exhort them. You will get more out of church that way than you'll ever get, just kind of sitting by yourself and waiting for the pastor to start talking. Okay, let me get to questions. The first one is anonymous. It says, Pastor since angels in heaven fell and weren't secure in God, why do you think we can be certain that we are secure in ours? We're not angels. Um, You know, Anonymous, we have this idea, and we talked about this in the program yesterday, we had a call about angels. Um, We have a a, a tendency to believe that, you know, angels are so much more, uh, so much closer to God than we are. They're so much more powerful than we are. Uh, And certainly they're holy angels. But remember, those are only the good angels. And these good angels, two-thirds of them, had a one-time decision to make to to keep their first estate, that's Jude's uh, uh, language, uh, or to rebel. Uh, with uh, with with Lucifer who became the devil uh, and two-thirds of them chose to stay with God. It was a one-time only choice for them. They don't get another choice. You and I, you know, we can reject God today. We can rebel against him this year but, but we can say, okay, Lord, I'm yours. Please forgive me. And he's so gracious that he'll forgive us. But uh, the angels likewise had to make a choice of their own free will. So Heaven lost a third of the angels. They became what we call as demons. Um, and, and now they are secure in God. I know that we can be secure because that's what our Bible, the living word they get to talk about tonight, declares that we are. We're secure. He guarantees our inheritance. He did that with an act. He gave us the Holy Spirit. When you're born again, The Holy Spirit is given to you as a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance in heaven. Now, it's God who guarantees, synonymous. If I said I can guarantee your salvation is secure, well, you'd have to take that with a grain of salt because I don't have any authority, nor do I have any power to guarantee anything. But this is a guarantee from God himself. And the Bible's so clear. I know we're confused because we see examples of people that we thought were saved and they fall away and we don't know what happened. And, well, they had their salvation, they lost their salvation. None of that's true. 1 John 2.19 says they went out from us to demonstrate they were never part of us. And that was written by the Apostle John who, for his entire life, he and Peter both were were really bugged by the idea that Judas was a traitor. They didn't know it. They couldn't discern it. So John comes to the conclusion, you know, when people walk with God and they persevere in their walk, well, that's because they're in Christ. But those who seem to walk with God and then they fall away again, they never really were a part of us. And that's what we've got to understand. So we like to think that everybody who says they're a Christian is, and we know, Anonymous, that that's simply not true. So. I know we are secure because the Bible tells us so. And since I'm going to talk about the Word of God tonight, let me just say this. Every single one of us here has to make a decision of our own free will about whether or not we're going to accept the Bible as the literal Word of God. The very Word of the very God. And the choice you make is going to determine... What kind of a relationship, if any, you have with God at all? He honors his word above his name. What Jesus called, in the beginning, was the word, the logos, the reason behind all things. He could have said, you know, in the beginning there was Jesus, but, but the idea is the word. He's connecting the living word with the written word that Jesus said would later come. And every one of us, we have to make that decision. For me, and I've told this story so many times in this program, I don't want to do it again, but but the idea is that, that once I decided that the Bible was really God's Word, I never had a moment's doubt about my salvation. I never had a moment's doubt about whether God was good, whether he loved me. I never got into a trial and thought, Why did you do this to me, Lord? Where are you? You're supposed to love me and protect me truth of the matter is is that that if we believe God's word that's what this program is about, it's God's word then we're going to know that we're secure in Christ. So Anonymous, that's the decision that you have to make. Do you believe the word of God, literally every word or are you still uncertain about it? Here's a personal question. Wes says I have a personal question for you. Wes, maybe, are you trying to hint something here? Wes says, how will you know when it's time for you to retire? Um, Wes, I don't know you, at least I don't know you by your name. But um, either you're doing the same kind of work I am, and you're getting older like I am, and you just have a question, or you've been here and you've listened to me and you're thinking, boy, that guy needs to retire. I don't know what's true. Wes, I'll know two ways. Uh, three ways. Let me add three ways, uh, and 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 the third one is Paula, and and uh, she will obviously uh, be in agreement um, before we do any decision at all, before we make any choice. But but the first way is, um, if I stop loving what I'm doing, uh, I I don't want to be an impediment to the word of God being taught here. Uh, I don't want people to look at some old doddering man on the pulpit saying, you know, when are they going to replace this guy with somebody more modern, somebody younger and more vibrant? Um, I I want to be able to communicate the word. And when people stop listening, uh, I'll I'll know that it's time for me to retire. Um, But as long as I love what I'm doing, uh, I, I haven't even got any um inclination at this point to slow down i'm going to be 70 in may and i don't even have any any sense that i need to start slowing down i'm still teaching three bible studies a week i'm still doing this program we've got other times when i teach um uh, here at the church uh, so uh i i just i'll know i i really think i'll know now i i don't mean to sound arrogant Uh, When I say that, I know a lot of people have hung on way too long. I've known some of them. Uh, But for me, as long as I have the energy to do it, and I'm healthy enough to do it, and I love doing it, then why would I want to retire? Why would I want to retire? But I love this church. I love this family that God has given me. And I certainly don't want to do anything at all that would hurt them. So I think the Lord will know, will let me know, when I'm no longer effective at teaching the Word. And that's the best I can do. I told you three ways. Those are two of them. But but, but the third one is Paula. You know, Paula loves me, and she's honest with me. And I really think that Paula will say, you know, Ron, you're not making sense, or, or um, you know, it, it's, it's time for you to do something else. At least I hope that she would, but as of right now, um I don't have any thoughts at all about tiring. I usually joke, Wes, when I talk with people about this, and, and believe it or not, when you get to be my age, people ask that question a lot, so I, I just always will say, sort of only half-joking, I'll say, you know, I'm still working on getting tired, let alone retired, and so uh, I'm just not ready. I, I think, uh, as I said, the Lord will, will make it clear to me when it's time, and that time will be when people can no longer uh, listen to me. You know, I already, Wes, am at that point where, um, I mean, I don't see well enough to see it literally, but but figuratively, I can almost see some of the people's lips moving because they know what I'm going to say sometimes. I've told them every story, and I'm talking uh, in in uh, an appropriate way. Um, They've heard me teach through the Bible. The Bible doesn't change, and I don't change much. So uh, they, they know where I'm going in a, in a, in a doctrinal direction. Um, and, and, you know, they know. good thing is God is gracious and keeps bringing new people to our church all the time. So that's the best I can do to answer the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's another anonymous question. Uh, it's hard for me to believe God loves me unconditionally. Um, we have to believe in Jesus. That's a condition. Well, it's really not a condition, Anonymous, at all. Jesus is God. So that's the thing you've got to understand. Um, God loves you unconditionally. Jesus, who was God, proved it beyond any shadow of a doubt by dying for your sins. So believing in him, believing in God, Is how we please the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when we demonstrate faith, God is pleased. Uh, And God offers our salvation. He offers his love. Uh, Unconditionally, we don't have to do anything except believe. It's a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. God's love is a free gift. All we have to do is receive it. And if you receive it, um, you're not receiving a condition. You're receiving God himself. So that's the best way for me to explain the answer to that anonymous. But but stop looking for God to kind of throw loopholes at you. He loves you. And he proved it once and for all. And even as, I want to be careful with this, as as silly as your question is, God loves you so much he doesn't care that you ask silly questions. He says, just come to him and you'll experience his love for you. And he wants me to tell you that he's crazy about you. Even when you bug him with questions like this, he's crazy about you. Here is another anonymous question. Um, Pastor Ron, how can I tell the difference between God's voice, my voice, and even the devil's voice? It's hard sometimes, anonymous. It really is. Um, I, I think... First of all, we've got to know God's Word. We have to know that His voice, that the, the things that He speaks to your heart, will never contradict what He's revealed to us in His Word. So it's interesting to me. I've had people come and say, well, you know, Pastor On God told me I could divorce. He wants me to be happy. But they don't have biblical grounds. I could say that wasn't God's voice at all. Well, yes, it was. I know God's voice. It wasn't because that contradicts what He's already given us in His Word. So that's the major way you can tell the difference. If you know His Word, then what He tells you will be consistent with what He's already revealed in our Bibles. And i got to tell you, Anonymous, and this is why John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, uh, Brothers, test the spirits, because not every spirit is from God. We have to test the spirits, because the devil is always shouting at us. He's always trying to get us off track, out of God's will. And, and, and again, that's why we, we really need to discern what the voice is saying to determine who it is. Now, I personally think, Anonymous, that it's trickier to discern between God's voice and my voice. I mean, we're biased. We we want what we want. And when we're seeking the Lord, it's so easy if it's a new job or if it's a uh, it's just the woman you gave me or it's just the man you brought into my life, Lord. I think it's easy if we want that person to be the person, if we want to go get that job or if I want to move to another state, whatever it is, I think it's really easy to influence what we hear with our own desires. So what we've got to do before we ask those kind of questions is we've got to sort of drain all of the desires. We've got to be like Jesus and say, nevertheless, Father, thy will, not my will, be done. And when we do that, the Spirit of God who lives in you will help you discern the difference. Now, I don't know if you're married but uh, this is what I do. Uh, if if I think the Lord is speaking something to me and I'm not quite sure, uh, I can talk to Paula. I can ask her to pray about it. I can ask her what she thinks, what she knows means I want her to pray about it so we can talk about it. And and we'll do that in those times usually when we're reading the Bible uh, together, those kind of things. But, but I, I'll tell Paula, would you just kind of keep me in prayer on this and you pray about it? I'd like to hear if God has anything to say to you. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? So one of the things I'm able to do is go. I know Paula loves me unconditionally. I know that she has only my best interests at heart always. So I don't have to worry about her motives. I can just say, Paula, would you seek the Lord on this together with me? So we can discern the leading of God here in a situation like this. So for me, that's the trickier one uh, because we can influence what we want to hear. Uh, you know, Anonymous, a lot of times when I'm uh, out walking and praying, my mind wanders and uh, I'll get off track and I'll have to stop myself and say, wait a minute, right now, Lord, I want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to me. I don't want to think about something else or someone else. I want to want to hear from you. And so I always have to sort of refocus And God gives me great assurance. I know the difference between certain and uncertain. And I know those ways that God makes it clear to me that he's speaking to me. And I think the more time you spend with him, and the more of his word that you know, the easier it will be to tell the difference. Let me say one other thing, and I'm doing this, repeating it, because it's important. You have to know God's Word. The way God is going to speak to you, ninety-five, five, and that's just my, my number, percent of the time is through His Word. Living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. He'll talk to you through His Word. But remember, this is a relationship. There are other times He wants to speak to us. Just speak to our heart. That's when we have to discern the spirit. And God will help you do that. Good question. I like that one. Here is a question from Raymond. He says, Why did Jesus weep at Lazarus' tomb if he knew he was going to raise him from the dead? Uh, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. In fact, I might have said this on yesterday's program, uh, Raymond. Uh, You're right. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. In fact, he waited four days to leave to do it. He knew that this is what would bring glory to God, but the reason he was weeping was because of all of the grief, the pain, and the sorrow. Remember, when he got to Lazarus' tomb, the sisters ran out to him. Oh, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. There were mourners, in in the ancient world, uh, it's still still in the Middle East, they hire professional mourners. It's sort of like let's get this all out and get it over with, and so everybody was weeping. And Lazarus was beloved, but but I mean, with all of that grief, and I think Jesus was just overwhelmed because it was like he was looking around at the pain of people's faces, and he was thinking, "This isn't the way it was supposed to be. This isn't the way I intended things to be when I made Adam, when I made Eve, it was that they would live forever and walk in the cool of the garden, and I think jesus would 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 just sort of internally over and over get to this place, uh, how how did we fall this far? I remember he was God, he had all the answers, but he had all the emotions, Raymond, that you and I have. And I think what he was thinking was, how did we fall so far? How did what was beautiful and perfect turn out the way it did? You know, we often, Raymond, will ask God, "Well, well, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? That's the reason Jesus was weeping at Lazarus' tomb. He was asking a question that he already knew the answer to. How did this happen? And he knew it happened in the garden. He knew man was rebellious by nature. So what we've got to really remember is that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, just prior to that He would look out over the temple and say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you knew that i come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And I think the thing behind Jesus' tears, most of all, is that we're not willing to let him bless us. Even Christians, Raymond, we're not willing to let him bless us. We want things our way. We want to give Jesus a little bit and take a lot from him. And it never works that way. We want to walk by sight instead of by faith. It never works that way. And I think it breaks Jesus' heart. And while heaven is a wonderful place, I think Jesus still weeps from heaven. I think he weeps from heaven a lot. So that's the the answer, Raymond. Uh, Of course, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Last question for this half of the program. This is another Anonymous. He says, or she says, I keep, I know, I struggle with a lot of bad thoughts that keep popping into my head. How can I make them stop? I don't mean to discourage you here, Anonymous, but you cannot make them stop. You see, they have their source, an outside source, the enemy of your soul, and he's going to be bringing them. How you can control them is taking every thought captive, Paul running to the church at Corinth, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So when those ugly thoughts come popping into your head, what you need to do is recognize their source. It's the devil. It's the demon spirits. And so your response is, I don't want to listen to the enemy. He wants to kill me. I don't want him to kill me. So I'm going to choose instead to listen to God, and I'm going to take that thought captive, and then I'm going to turn it into obedience. And when you do that, then you're going to be able to be in control of those thoughts. I've said this a lot on the program here as well, but but I I have nightmares, horrible nightmares, and uh, I mean there's times I don't even want to go to bed. You know I'm, I'm tired. Bed's supposed to be refreshing, and for me, sometimes I feel like I'm going into a jujitsu match or something. But but um, if I am startled awake, my first thought is those are only dreams. Jesus, you're here with me, and that's what we've got to remember. Uh, if you're having bad thoughts while you're awake, it's even easier. Take your Bible with you everywhere you go and start reading it. Every time you have thoughts, start praying. Lord, I don't want to think those things. I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. And if you do that consistently, the enemy will eventually try to find something else because the last two things he wants is for you to get into the Word or to pray, to talk with Jesus. So that's fighting back. Too many of us want the fight to stop. It's not going to stop until we're with Jesus. But we have already been guaranteed victory in our fight against evil. Thanks for the question. We've got 30 minutes left on our week. We'd love your calls. The phones have been quiet. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes.
0: To the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
2: welcome back i got kind of sad when i said the last half hour of the week i don't mean to be so melodramatic here is a question that came from our mobile app from chip just now uh pastor ron thank you for addressing my question about hospitality earlier this week. I realize I made the question too broad. Even though I totally agreed with your point, my point was not made. I'm sorry. What I meant, related to Paul's mention of hospitality in Romans 12 and 13, is practicing personal hospitality. Now that the mask requirements are a lot more lenient, at least here in Texas, Could I start inviting brothers and sisters to come fellowship at my home or for me to join them at theirs? Thank you again for blessing us with so much of your wisdom and guidance. Thank you. You're so kind. I don't know how much wisdom there is, but I'm doing the best that I can. Uh, I'm I'm sorry I didn't understand your question, at least the intent of it. Um, Yes, of course you can invite people to come to your home. And you, you can go to their homes if they invite you. That is your personal choice. And we have the freedom to do that. And I think uh, it's important after the, the last 13 or 14 or 15 months that we've had here, um, where there's been so much isolation, fellowship is a good thing. The one thing that you want to do, if if you're inviting people to your home, if they are more comfortable wearing a mask, then not only should you be encouraged them to wear a mask, uh, but you should probably wear one as well. Um, the same thing is, is true if you go to somebody else's house and they ask you to take off their mask. You know, I was explaining this to somebody, Chip. Um, uh, you know, there are some houses, we have a, a lot of Asians in our church. And, uh, you know, you walk in the front door and there's like 100 pairs of shoes, you know, and it's clear that shoes come off in their house. Well, uh, it, it's kind of rude if everybody's asked to take their shoes off, even even when they're not asked out loud. But it, it's it's implicit, um, you know, you slip your shoes off because it's their home and you want to be hospitable. You want to be a good guest. Um, well, the same thing is true with the mask. So if if your guests don't care about masks, and you don't care about masks, uh, you're COVID-free or symptom-free, and they're COVID or symptom-free, then of course it is it is perfectly fine for you to uh, have uh, to to res- be restored to fellowship uh, in your home or as a guest in the home of somebody else, and do it without guilt. We're free to do it. We're following the law, and we can do it. We want to be kind and considerate. To others, but um, if everybody's okay, we're okay. Uh, we went through this, Chip, and and uh, I don't think you come to our church, so uh, we went through this when the governor really relieved the, the uh, mask requirements um, and the social distancing requirements and things at church. We have a small building with lots and lots of people, uh, and we went through this, and we, we prayerfully struggled through this, and we just believed that it was time to um, to uh, let people who want to wear masks wear them and let the people who don't want to wear masks come without masks. Uh, everybody gets to make their own personal choice and you are free to do that. So good question. Now I understand. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Well, here is a sort of a related question from Daryl. Do you think churches that are not meeting or violating Hebrews 10.25? Do you think they're rebelling against God? Um, I, I don't think Daryl, that their heart is to rebel against God. Uh, I, I think they are violating Hebrews ten twenty five, but but we can we can do something uh, misinformed, uh, or we can do something with a rebellious spirit. I don't think they're doing it um, with a rebellious spirit. I think most of the churches that have said. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stay closed. I think most of those churches uh, uh, probably honestly believe that they're going to um, um, they're they're doing what's best for people. We just we just want to be safe, loving our neighbor, those kind of things. I think I think that's misguided. Um, but but I certainly would never accuse them of having a heart that is in rebellion against God. Uh, I was interviewed yesterday, and I, I don't know even why they would call me, but, but I, I was asked the question about uh, church's meeting and the importance of of, uh, of church's meeting. And Daryl, I, I just think there's nothing more important than, than than being obedient to the Word, being in fellowship, using the gifts that God has given you. We learned, if we learned nothing else over the last 13 or 14 months, uh, we learned that we we don't do very well in isolation. And if we're going to continue to be used by God, then we have to be available to God. And, and I think churches have a responsibility to the people in their bodies who are really, really struggling um, by, by being alone, by being in, in isolation. So, um, yes, I do think they're violating Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. But I don't think uh, they're doing it with a rebellious heart. Here is a call. we got Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing well. Did you get your second vaccination taken care of?
1: I did, and I I was kind of tired for a, a couple of days afterwards. And I didn't really have, my arm was a little sore, but that went away. I didn't even feel the shot. I didn't know I had it until he put the Band-Aid on my arm. And then, I don't know what happened, that Band-Aid disappeared. I've looked all over this house, and I have not been (laughs) able to find it. (laughs) But I wanted to take it off. Um, I have um, my two-week period ends the 27th of this month. So hopefully, Lord willing, I will be at Bible study uh, Wednesday night. And I just can't wait. It's been good, an awfully good, long, good. long But what I was calling about is I'm still thinking about that pillar of fire and the cloud by the day from when I called you a couple weeks ago. And I've been wondering about well the cloud I'm wondering if there's different kind of clouds w- with with the Lord because there's the cloud that was trans on the transfiguration, and then there's the cloud of glory, then there's the cloud that when Jesus comes back in in a cloud, but I also was thinking about fire and now i am thinking that the pillar of fire was the same fire that the bush was burning but didn't burn. And then I started to think about the fact that if you put your hand in fire, it is going to burn you, and yet the bush didn't burn. And I I would imagine nobody was brave enough to stick their hand in the pillar of fire at night. But, But I'm also wondering about that type of fire that doesn't physically burn opposed to the fire that comes down from heaven and totally destroys the earth and And I think there's some other fire rosters in there, but they've gotten away from me now, but anyways, that's kinda of like what I don't know if you can make sense of any of this. yeah but it's that, Friday, that, that, and I usually have yeah. my my questions I've been thinking about you know all week long in the morning with my coffee and and um this is this just has not gone away, so I'm gonna get off the phone and let you sort this out.
2: Thank, Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. Not not only is that a great question, but it's a really insightful question. You know the the fire that burns a bush but doesn't consume it. Um, you know that's that's a, the the picture of the holy fire of Jesus. By the way, the 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 fire that that consumed that burned in the bush but didn't consume it was Jesus. That was Jesus. That was a, a an appearance of Christ. Uh, likewise. The, the cloud and the pillar of fire in the Exodus wilderness that was Jesus leading them and guiding them. Now the reason I said it's such an insightful question is because the um, uh, two things practical things I would say God is so practical. If you're walking around in a wilderness desert for 40 years, there are two things that you need in the daytime, it's hot in the desert. God gave them the cloud for cover. Shade. I mean, think about that. Instead of the sun beating down on them, there, there was always a, a cooler place for them in the shade. What do you need at night when it gets cold in the desert and when it's really, really dark, and especially where there's no artificial lights and things? I mean, you, you, the Exodus wilderness, it would be so dark when it was, when it was dark. But they had fire fire lit them up and kept them warm. So they had both of those things. So not only is this Jesus, not only is he a holy, consuming fire of judgment, but he's also um, being in his presence is like walking in the shade on a hot day. So Cindy, both of those were, were the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. It wasn't a cloud like we see in the sky. Um, this was just God's presence with them and and how kind of God to do so when they were walking through a wilderness that they'd never been in before. They kept walking around in it, um, but they were never lost. They never had to wonder if Moses lost his way. When they sat down and the camps were assembled in the order that was given uh, to them for assembling, they never had to, to wonder, "Is it time to go? Maybe we've been here long enough?" They never had to do that. Because when the, the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire started to rise, that was when they knew it was time to get up and move. It's sort of like my, my GPS lady, you know. Um, she gets, "Turn right in 1,000 feet. Take the next right, turn right in 400 feet and 200 feet." And, and you know, they, they didn't have to guess anything. They never had to worry about being lost and so they always knew that the presence of God was with them when they were surrounded by let's say less than friendly enemies all they had to do was open the tent and see that pillar of fire and they knew they were safe they could sleep so that's what that was all about Cindy and and not only was it the presence of God but the practical value of that glory of those clouds and that pillar of fire uh, was enormous and and a source of great comfort for them. Wonderful question, Cindy. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you this coming week when you can get back into church. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from William. He says, I just saw online that California has removed all restrictions on churches meeting I think we should honor those who resisted closing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a, a let's honor people. I think you know uh, uh the, the faithful servants is, well, well we we've only done our duty. Um I don't think um uh, the, the pastors who remained open did it to be honored. I think they did it because it's that's their job and they just showed up. We have, it's interesting I got a lot of friends in California. Uh, I, I have one friend who amassed more than a million and a half dollars in fines because he refused to close, and um, um, there are now uh, about a half dozen different cases in California that went to uh, either the the Ninth Circuit, the federal court, which is very, very, very liberal, um, and and were overturned, um, and, and or. Uh, all the way to the Supreme Court and were overturned. And basically, California just gave up. Every time they pressed one of these cases, uh, they lost. And they would lose, and then they would lose the appeal, and then if it got to the Supreme Court, they lost that. And finally, they just thought, well we're wasting time and money and so they just removed all the sanctions they they still we encourage very strongly social distancing and not singing and all those things but they they you're right they removed all restrictions i think this is a wonderful victory for the lord and this cloud, this black cloud hanging over the pastors with fines and all of that stuff now is simply going to be terminated. And uh, I think this is just a, a, an opportunity uh, where, where God says, OK, uh, I move the hearts of kings and queens. I'm the one who moved the heart of judges. And so trust in me. And I, I think this was a great faith builder for a lot of those uh, men who who took a stand. We're not going to stop meeting. um And uh, uh, believe me, there's going to be rewards for them in heaven, but I don't believe they need to be honored here uh, on earth. There's a lot of really, really um, faithful men who said, um, I'm a pastor. We're a church. Uh, Our nation has given us the right, um, the the inalienable right uh, of freedom of religion. And uh, so we're going to meet. And they did it, and and uh, and God moved on the hearts of the people, and uh, we can all rejoice over that. Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, good to hear from you again today. You are on the air.
0: Um, I share with people that uh, that that uh, Jesus is coming soon, mm-hmm. and and they kind of like don't like want to believe me, but. Um, I don't know exactly. I just know. I just know that I have a feeling that he's coming soon. So does my wife,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I long for that day. <laughs> but you know, I I look for it every day. But I know that. And so, well, I don't know why you. they, they tell me I don't know why you think that way. I say, it's not negative. It's just you know, I just yeah. want people to, to lead the world. You know what I'm saying, but I know yeah, Jimmy,
2: Jimmy the unbeliever though would, would, would think that's evil because they just think, oh, you just hate the world and 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 people are basically good, but you look around and you see the evil. You can watch it. We're we're living in Second Timothy chapter three right now, and Jesus is coming soon, and He tells us to live in the expectation of His sudden arrival. And uh, and and all we can do in the interim is occupy. Keep serving the Lord. Keep looking for His return. And uh, you saying that, that you look for Him every day, imagine how pleasing that is to Him.
0: Yes. Amen.
2: Yeah. Keep looking up. I check the eastern sky every morning.
0: <laughs> but even Christians Thanks. tell me that, too. Even Christians tell me that. I shouldn't be thinking that way. Yeah,
2: you know, I, if if it were me, I would ask him. Well, why would you say that? Yeah. And 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 the truth is, there's a lot of professing Christians who don't really know Jesus very well at all, and and uh, and it scares them. I I don't understand it, Jimmy. I've tried. I've talked to people. Um, I, I've tried to encourage people to look up. Um, but, um, you know, if, if you're not really intimate with the Lord, if you're not really in love with him, then, uh, Jesus, uh, a consuming fire of holiness, uh, that would be a concern. Now they're, they're going to, they're, once the rapture happens, uh, all those concerns will be immediately gone when we look into that face. Uh, but, uh, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I like my life. I love my life. I'm not looking to escape the world but you know it's like um jimmy you'll understand this when i the the first time i saw paula um and and uh i called her made a, a date i went to her house i couldn't wait to see her the next day and then when i had the weekend was over i had to go back to college and i was away from her for a week i couldn't wait to see her well how much more jesus the lover of my soul All I want to do is see him. Right now, I I believe in him without having seen him. But when I see him, it'll be a whole new level of intimacy. And for me, that sounds about as good as anything possibly can be. My uh, producer said today is National Cherry Cheesecake Day. And I thought, wow, that would be good. Believe me, seeing Jesus is better than cherry cheesecake. So, Jimmy, thank you for that. I appreciate it. You keep looking up and um, start to explain to people. Ask them questions. Why wouldn't you want to see Jesus? Mm-hmm. It's the best thing that could happen to any one of us today that Jesus would say, today's the day. Mm-hmm. And if we would get to that place, I promise you the power of the Holy Spirit would change our perspective on it. The people who don't want him to come, they're just the opposite of what Paul said to the church at Coloss- uh, Colossae in chapter 3. He said, set your minds and your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, not on earthly things. And and the mind is the place of decision. The heart is the place of affection. And if our minds and hearts are on things above, then there's nothing better that we could we could experience than seeing Jesus face to face. But when our minds and hearts are on things, well, then that's where our treasure is, and that's where we're going to find our heart. Tough dichotomy there. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Marion. Um, can you explain justification and sanctification? I can, Marion. Justification is what happens. When we are born again, um, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, our sins are clean. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And we are completely justified. And the way to think of that, and I don't mean to make this sound trite, but the way to, 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 to remember remove justification is just as if I'd never sinned. And it's happened positionally. The minute we're born again, we're perfect in the eyes of Christ. Now, practically, obviously, we got a lot of stuff to work out. But the minute we give our heart to Jesus, we are as though we'd never sinned, perfect. It's like we're walking around the cool of the garden as God did with Adam. So that's sins, past, present, and future, all forgiven and forgotten. Sanctification, on the other hand, is the process of becoming more like Jesus every day. I'm justified, just as if I'd never sinned, but practically I'm still in this flesh and blood body. I've still got issues. I've still got all kinds of weaknesses. And so as I walk with Jesus and learn more about him, I become more like him every day. And that's what sanctification is. It is a lifelong process that never stops until we are with Jesus and then we are completely like him. But the idea of being sanctified or set apart means that Jesus is making us more like him every day. And we're more focused on the things that he's concerned about rather than things that we're concerned about. And that's just the process of of being more like Jesus every day. So, Marian, that's the difference between justification and sanctification. One is instant and unconditional. When you accept Jesus Christ, you are justified. But the other is a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus every day. Good question. Here is a question from Michael. When Jesus rebuked Peter by calling him Satan, was Peter possessed by the devil at that moment? No, Michael, he wasn't possessed by the devil at all. But what Jesus was doing was identifying to Peter that the source of the statement he made, "May it never be, Lord," when Jesus had just told him, "I'm going to go into Jerusalem, I'm going to hand it over to the to the officials, and I'm going to be crucified." No, may it never be. And and Peter, I mean, sorry, Jesus looked directly at Peter, but through Peter to the Spirit. From where that statement came. Get thee behind me, Satan. And then he talked again to Peter. He said, Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God, but, but instead you have in mind the things of God, uh, of man. That's really, really important. And, and so uh, whenever our mind, I said in the last uh, response to Jimmy, that um, whenever our minds are on earthly things, then Satan is going to be there to sort of uh, fan the flames. So, no, Peter was not possessed by the devil at all. Uh, It was just the devil was the source of that statement. Whenever we don't want what Jesus wants, and you might think about this for all of you, Jimmy said, you know, some of you as Christians, you don't want Jesus to come. You shouldn't think like that. Um, That's the enemy. Speaking to you and then through you. Liam says, this is our last question. At the Bama Judgment, will we have to apologize to people we've sinned against? Liam, no, we won't. Um, When we get to heaven, all the people that we sinned against, um, they're going to have been completely forgiven of their sins. Their their earthly natures, characters are going to be completely gone. They're going to have bodies and hearts just like Jesus's. And so uh, you won't have to apologize to anybody. What you'll do is you'll smile at Him, hug Him, and proclaim together the goodness of God. That's a marvelous, marvelous thing to think about. Don't have any scores to settle. Now we know in part. We don't see clearly. Then we'll know completely as we are known by God. And all of the junk in our flesh will be completely consumed by the holiness of Jesus. So, Don't worry about having to apologize to anybody. Uh, If there are people that have things against you now and they're still alive, go ask them to forgive you. Own it. But in heaven, don't worry about it. No need. Hey, good week. Thank you for tuning in. I am Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you've been listening to the Word to Stand On For Life. May God richly bless you this week. Remember, go to church and be used by God to be a blessing to others. I'll see you next week. God bless.